The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome to the 442 Insider podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of Australia's top football publication. I'm Paul Hansford, and this week I'm joined by publisher Andy Jackson. Hello. And deputy editor Trevor Trahan. Hello. How are you? How are we, boys? Very well, thank you. Fresh after celebrating Liverpool's latest loss. Yeah, in the congratulations, FA Cup. Adam Federici. Good performance. Great, Only beaten. great take at the end, wasn't it? Only saw. beaten at Anfield by one of the most ridiculous pinball deflected goals that you'll see. So good on him. Yeah, so it's uh, good news for all non-Liverpool fans, but I'm sure the, the the Reds fans will be holding their heads in shame at another bad loss uh, it's always good to see a little lad crying which is what the Satanta camera's focused on and it's yeah, not relegation either seconds. it's just gone out of a couple who were never going to win anyway probably done them a favour yeah but yeah it's always fun to see a little kid cry anyway <laughs> uh, moving on to uh, A-League stuff which is what we're all here for round review can't remember which round it was 23 22 no lost, idea. Really lost count, early 20s yeah early 20s review um there was a triple header on Saturday. Started off by Wellington Phoenix against Brisbane Raw. Raw? Raw? Jonathan Wars. With, with the wascally wabbits. Um, played in Westpac Stadium in Wellington. And that's not me with a speech impediment. That's actually where it was. Wellington came out 3-1 winners. Uh, Eugene Daddy Show, basically. Best performance of his uh, career in the A-League, do you reckon? I mean, when you talk about ways of endearing yourself <laughs> to your new supporters in your first game an overhead kick like that is probably right up there in the top one or two things you could do yeah. and, and the second goal as well was actually a really good finish because the ball was sort of behind him and he controlled it it, it came to him sort of like on the half volley and he controlled it into the roof of the net so um so yeah, I mean, you know, it's like we were saying last week you know, he's a good player you know, and, he, and he had a good scoring record for Perth you know, so he just didn't seem to fit in there this season. But you know, he'll go and do a job there. I'm really? sure, and he, he could possibly be the the thing that's going to get Wellington into the finals. I think. Trevor seemed that Daddy passed the paternity test. <laughs> Still rolling out that joke. I like that one. That's that's <laughs> pretty bad. good. Um, yeah, he did. Uh, I think he should have been given more of a chance at, at Perth, and you know, especially when Yelich got injured as well. They st- still didn't um, fancy playing him. Um, I think it's. Worth remembering not to get too excited about this Wellington result because they've been good at home all season, even though Daddy seemed to be that extra touch of class. I mean, remember, this is the same Wellington that beat Gold Coast 6 0 and they were absolutely useless against Sydney the following week when they lost 3 1. In terms of the remainder of the season, they've still got to go away to Perth, Melbourne, and Gold Coast. So I still think it's going to be tough for them to find a good spot. In the in the mm. finals, if they do do it, they'll, they'll probably just creep into sixth. And for Brisbane, uh, it just looks like a case of like load up the bus, drive out, and forget this season, really, isn't it? I mean, Ange he's trying to do what he's trying to do, you know, getting rid of a few players and everything. But it's really going to be next season that we're gonna we're gonna see. What yeah, we're that, to see. that seems to be sort of like the um, the way they're heading, which is you know clear all you know for for Ange to get the squad that he wants together for. Um, for next season, um, which is a shame because uh, you know, as as Frank Farina said himself this week, you know they were they were riding relatively highly, you know, in fourth place when he was there. Um, so you know that's all got a bit ugly as well. You know yeah. the the raw, the raw um, against Farina and the court case, and 
it's just you don't really need it you know I don't think Frank Farina needs his name dragged through the mud like he has and also it's all getting a bit petty with what Frank said well if I was still in charge we'd still be in fourth it's yeah. like let's just get over it um, so yeah I think it's looking like uh, Brisbane are planning for next season already which is a shame because they probably could have you know they're one of those teams that in the finals could have sprung a couple of upsets I think mm. yeah and the, and the profligate uh, Serge Van Dyke scored another goal Trev He's your, had a bit of a dry touch, though. continues. That, that's his first goal in a while, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Second game on the Saturday was Central Coast Mariners against North Queensland Fury. One all draw in what was uh, a pretty dull game overall. Nick Merger put in a, a good, good shift. But other than that, not really uh, two teams that aren't going to make the finals, really, isn't it? It's certainly looking that way. Mariners are... You know, like from being the sort of resurgent Mariners and now sort of, you know, in that bottom half and don't really look like they're going to... They haven't really got the firepower to to win those games. Fury, again, just show how resilient they are. They'll go behind after three minutes, come back, get another away point. So um, you'd probably say that, I don't know, over out the two sides, if you're going to tip one to make a late surge, I'd probably say Fury. Yeah. Because, yeah, they have got someone like Fowler who can win them a game out of nothing. You know, so um, but yeah, it was it certainly wasn't the best of games. I struggled to keep my eyes on this because I was barbecuing at the time, and choice between this game and a steak, steak one. I'll take the meat any day. Um, you take anything from this, Trev? Or? Um, I'm going to tip the Mariners for the wooden spoon. Well, um, I'm looking at their running. They've only got two more home games: um, Gold Coast and Newcastle, and then they've got to go away to Adelaide who are you know, the team below and with a game in hand, only three points behind. They've also got to go away to Perth and Wellington, two you know, of the mm. toughest places in the A-League to go. You know, the way they're playing, this was such an important game to, to kick-start you know, the last bit of their, their running. They only picked up a point. I can only see them picking up a handful of points between now and the end. And you know, Fury and the Adelaide, I think, have got enough to overtake them. So in a season where they've thrashed Melbourne twice and you know, they went to the Roar mm. and won 3-0... Not only they're not going to make the finals, I think they can end up um, getting the wooden spoon, which I think critics of their style of play, which they've had all season, are going to love that. Yeah. The last game on the Saturday was Gold Coast United against Adelaide. Uh, another one-all draw. Uh, there was a rare Travis Dodd goal sighting, but the, the game really turned on the uh, Shane Smelt's non-sending off, really, for a pretty bad tackle on, on Ian Fife, wasn't it? Yeah, it and was late. It was... Yeah, you know, it was taking his standing foot away, which is always dangerous when you're talking about ankles or legs. Uh, he's probably lucky. It doesn't seem like he's too badly injured. I think Adelaide put someone out saying that you know he's been cleared a serious injury, which is good because no one ever likes to see him get injured like that. But it was a pretty bad tackle, no yeah. doubt about it. And obviously, Smelts being allowed to stay on, and mm. then he popped up at the end and, and scored the the equaliser. You've got to be. Uh, Holding, you know, wondering what you got to do to win a game if you're a Relio Vidmar, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, that was an important goal for Gold Coast because I think it kept their momentum going. But Adelaide have, have always got the ability because they've got the players to turn up a, what would have been a, a real surprise result. I think everyone fancied Gold Coast to take that over. Um, yeah, I think the, the finals are, are now obviously beyond Adelaide. They just need to see how well they can finish, get you know, a few good results together going into the Asian Champions League at the end of the season. I mean, Smelts is a difference in, in that team. I don't know whether you, you guys saw in the goal. There's just a like, just a little nudge there to get yeah, the defender yeah. off him yeah. before he knocked it in. And that's the kind of things that, you know, makes a, a good striker really stand out. Let, let, the rest. Let's hope he stays as well during mm. this month and doesn't go elsewhere. It was yeah. also the power he got from the header because he was sort of already in the air and he just gets a little sort of ping on it that, that's just got that little extra lift that took it over the keeper. So yeah. it was 
sign of a good striker. You know, two minutes into injury time, you get a chance like that and you put it away. And it's, you know, you, you wouldn't say it was a clear cut chance. You'd say it was probably a fifty-fifty, and yeah. and he and he buried it. So um, yeah, and they continued that obviously last night, as we'll talk about later. And I suppose the telling stat from that is that um, Shane Smeltz now has two more goals than the Adelaide team. So that, <laughs> so that, te- that, that tells a story both sides, really, doesn't it? Um, game on Sunday was uh, first game on Sunday was Newcastle Jets against Melbourne Victory. Newcastle continue their winning ways, five wins in six at that point, and a 3-2 win for the Jets. Yeah, it was a good game, this. Some good I, mean, I really enjoyed it. it was, uh, I must admit, when, um, when Newcastle went down to 10 men, I sort of feared the worst. But, um, they, they it was a pretty carried... soft penalty as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean... it was. And, uh, but they just carried on playing, which was good. You know, I thought generally sometimes when you see a team go down to 10 men, especially when they're still in the game, they tend to sort of shut up shop and put one up front and drop four back into midfield and just put, you know, like eight or nine men behind the ball. And they didn't do that. You know, they kept attacking and, and got their reward for it with another couple of goals. So, um, yeah, it's a good result. Um, you know, Jets proved that on their day, even with 10 men, they can beat anyone. You know, so I still think they're going to have a, going to have a say in who ends up uh, in the finals. Yeah. And uh, we, we said it before in the podcast, Trev, but Labano Haliti... Another really good goal. I mean, probably up there with Daddy's for the best goal of the of the round. But he seems to be um, a really good signing, and, and combined with Bridges, they they look quite and Rooney as well. Mm. They look quite dangerous going forward. Yeah, I mean, all their goal scorers there, Thompson, Bridges, and Haliti have been three really important players for them. Um, right in saying they got Haliti from the state leagues, didn't they? You know. Originally, and then he went away, didn't he? Yeah. Went, was it then he went Transylvania or something Albania like that? In the Dracula yeah. League or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, there are decent players like that. About In terms of, you know, Jets picking up the points after going down to 10 men, the whole thing behind their success is because they've just gone for it, haven't they? They've been gung-ho when, yeah. you know, they were losing games and they didn't stop doing that even when they went down to 10 men against the champions. Um, a note on Melbourne they've really picked a bad time to uh, have a bit of a slump people might talk about Danny Allsop later I think they probably need a bit more firepower to, um, to, to you know make sure they're on the form they need to be to, to make it to the grand final Andy Harper said something about them maybe going through a period where they were being trained quite hard leading into the um, finals but I, I don't know whether that, there was any truth in that I just think they just were beaten just by a team more form, up for it really. yeah. I mean there were two, two things from this annoyed me about this game when I was watching it first thing Musket Musket's kick at yeah. Matt Thompson should have been off yeah. you know, we've seen players sent off for that um, you know why he does that still you know he cleared the ball there was no danger. It wasn't a 50-50 ball. He got there first. Yeah. Why he feels the need to then kick the guy, I don't understand. And the second thing, which really annoyed me, to the point, I don't even support Newcastle yet, I was <laughs> shouting at the TV, was Labino Haliti, his insistence on taking his shirt off when yeah. he scores, when he knows it's going to be a yellow card. If I was Branko Cleaner, I'd be saying to him, mate, you're an idiot. You're an <laughs> absolute idiot because... You know, we, you know, we've just gone sort of, you know, 3-1 up again with 10 men and you've put yourself one bad time, badly timed tack- yeah. tackle away from putting us down to nine men when there's no need for it. And he, did, he does it every time he scores. It's lucky for him he doesn't score more than five goals, otherwise he'd get a ban. Yeah. You know, but it just infuriates me. If I was a coach, I'd be like, mate, just keep your shirt on. It's not difficult. Anyway. 
Moving on. <laughs> Good ranting. I was, I was <laughs> just like, he's, he's got 10 men. This team's got 10 men. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm... Like, with 35 minutes left to go, he's like, he's one trip away from being sent off. Yeah. Idiot. And the last game on Sunday was Perth Glory against Sydney FC. Uh, nil-nil, but it was a bit of time, love and tenderness from Bolton, wasn't it? Great, yeah, and, and having sort of talked about Jamie Harmwell in last week's pod and... Yeah, is he more of a striker than a centre-half now? He showed that he's probably more of a centre-half with that finish because he should have... Any striker should have buried it. You know, what was he? 12 yards out, Pum. goal at his mercy. Running onto the ball. Running onto it, side foot, yeah. wide. You know, so I think Sydney got away with that. I think that was probably a point gained for Sydney, certainly with the Melbourne result. But they, they'll probably look at it and think, no Colosimo, no Brosk. Point in Perth, we'll take that and uh, come back home this week. And we were chatting about Chris Payne. His nice little, bit of composure at the end, but yeah, no, it, it no was, end product. But it, you know, he looked pretty good at the moving the players out of the way and you know fashioning a chance for himself. A little bit like Nicky Cole's goal when uh, he, he ran for everyone a few years back. But um, big chance for Aloisi on mm. um, this game. We talked earlier in the season. I think I even had a bet with someone about Aloisi going to the World Cup and. You know, he had a chance with Brosk missing today, and I think Payne probably looked better for those last 15 minutes than Aloisi did for the previous 75. So, you know, on the fringes of the Sydney FC team, I don't think you're likely to make the Socceroos, though. No, definitely not. Well, that's all we've got time for in that section. That was the round review from last week. Join us after the break as we'll be looking at all the news from au.442.com. The new issue of 442 is on sale now. This month, we speak exclusively to Liverpool and England superstar Stephen Gerrard and Socceroo Luke Wilkshire as both look forward to the World Cup in South Africa. Our man Trev gets flown to Germany by Adidas for a first look at the official World Cup ball. And as a European transfer window opens, we look at some of the hottest property likely to be on the move, including Sergio Aguero, David Silva and Luis Fabiano. And if that wasn't enough, there's a free 2010 World Football Wall Planner to make sure you don't miss any important dates in this massive year of football. If it's in the game, it's in 442. On sale now. Welcome back to the 442 Insider Podcast and now's the time to have a look at some of the news from the week in football from our website au.442.com which we hope you are clicking furiously on uh, every day and the first piece of news was... um, Galatasaray making an audacious bid for uh, Lucas Neal, uh, said to be uh, looking to bolster their defence ahead of uh, a European campaign. And obviously the the good thing for Lucas is that he's not uh, tied to a club for playing in Europe, so he's free to play for Galatasaray in Europe. And um, they're said to be making or tipped to make an offer for uh, Lucas well, yeah, I mean, some reports saying it's done, but um, I can't find any confirmation that it, that it is actually done. Apparently, they're talking about £800,000 now, which mm. obviously, given Everton didn't pay any money for him, is a, is a pretty short turnaround for, for eight hundred grand. However, you've got to look at the fact that they've got Yobo away at the African Cup, uh, Distan's injured, and Jaggy Elka's still coming back from his cruise ship. So they're not exactly awash with defenders. They actually need him, don't they? Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, unless Moyes has got someone else lined up. I think they're, I can't forget the lad's name from Sheffield United. There's a, 
there's a defender that he's been rumoured to be looking at there. So whether he's actually got someone teed up and this money will just free up the, the chance to make that move, um, I don't know. But, they, you know, you think that Everton have, you know, going to... They've been, you know, they've been getting back to form recently. Um, you know, Lucas Neal was unfortunately sort of like the the deflection that cost them a win at the Emirates, um, but it wasn't really his fault. Um, so you'd think that they would look to to keep the squad. You know, I can't believe that eight hundred grand is going to make the difference with a club of that size. So. Mm. And a, but a good move for Lucas. I mean, if, I suppose for him, it's all about where he's going to play the the, the more the. The more football, isn't it, Trev? Mm, I'd rather him be at Evan. I think he's good enough to, to yeah. find a place in that team. Got real reservations over the quality of the Turkish league in, in terms of that European campaign. Um, they're in the knockout stages of the Europa League now, and I believe they've got Atletico Madrid, um, Galatasaray. So I can see them going out very swiftly to go there for European football, to play two games, and then to find yourself in the slow Turkish league ahead of the World Cup. I don't think so, I do. I misread the headline at first, and I thought William Gallas had uh, was going to buy him to play instead of him because he couldn't be bothered to play. So, but uh, yeah, luckily I read the rest of the article, which is always a good sign. Someone else, uh, possibly on the move, is uh, Danny Allsop heading back to Melbourne Victory, uh, with sources in Qatar saying that the striker will be lease- released from his club, Al Ryan. No explanation in the story as to, as to yeah, why. Yeah, so I tried to get hold of. Um someone who I know is, is pretty close to this overnight and couldn't um, to, to find out what it was because you know, he scored six goals in 12 games you know, he gave that interview recently on SBS so he mm-hmm. seemed relatively happy with things there so um, yeah it's a surprise um, ob- the obvious link is back to Melbourne yep. um, especially given that you know, they're having a bit of a wobble um, and they let Fabiano go which again was a surprise to me given that they weren't exactly... Um, they didn't exactly have a lot of striking options. Robbie Cruz, um, you know, he's probably not, you know, he doesn't really seem to chip in with with goals himself. You know, he, he certainly brings other players in. Thompson's not quite, you know, on song as he was maybe four or five weeks ago. So I think they could probably do with a little bit of a uh, little bit of impetus. Maybe it'll give them a, a bit of a sort of, you know, shot in the arm. Uh, but also they talked about Adelaide might be in looking for him. For the Champions League. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they seem as though they need a little bit more muscle, don't they? Or like a kind of more direct route that he could provide. Adelaide, um, yeah. I'm not sure if um, Vidmar would play him up front with anyone else because he seems to love this one man up front so much. But, you know, he might do a slightly better job. In terms of where he went in, in Qatar, you know, these Q League clubs have got more money than cents and they literally just buy players and turn them over and it doesn't really matter to them how much they're spending or losing. So it's in, perhaps not a long term plan to go over there. And, you know, even these doing well they're probably more interested in another project bringing another striker in from elsewhere yeah and it's uh, more news on player turnover and people moving around Craig Moore our favourite player from last week where we dedicated a whole podcast to he's um, set to join his former Socceroo teammate Zelko Kalac at Greek Super League team Kavala big club we've all heard of it obviously uh, Trev's an expert in Kavala he knows uh, the they, lost, he lo- they lost one nil. he lost on his debut one nil. Yeah. Are we are we surprised? Are we happy for Craig? Are we? I mean, it just it seems like a bit of a strange place to go. But obviously, the connection there with uh, Kalach probably what happened. But long term move for him, or do you think he'll, he's just there, obviously for for World Cup practice? Yeah, I, I think so. I'd, I'd probably say that I'd prefer him somewhere like Greece or Turkey or something. We just talked about that compared with playing for St Johnston in Scotland because I think that he's going to get 
more of a sort of workout of the type that he'll face at the World Cup um, because it's a, there's not many teams that, that we're going to face that are playing, you know, kick and rush football or, you know, big man up front, let's lump it up. So I think it's probably a good move for him. Um, he's going to play every week. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a decent move for him. I'm still not sure what to make of it, to be honest with you. Like, I'm surprised that, you know, he went there. I didn't realise that, you know, there was going to be links to, to there. But, yeah, you know, like Andy was saying, if, if he plays regular head against the World Cup, that's what he needs. If short term, I'd imagine he'd come back to the A-League, um, yeah. you know, the following season because he would have got his final World Cup out of the way and he'd be winding down his career. Just seeing there that he's actually signed a one-and-a-half-year contract, so obviously for this season and, and next season. Oh, okay. so he, he is massive mates with Kalach. So yeah. you know, so there's no, it's no real surprise there. And as as we've seen with Lucas Neal, you know, and Harry Kewell, it's you know, it's like anywhere, you know, it's like it's sort of like if he's their best mates, they're speaking on the phone, and then Zelko goes into his to his boss, says, "Look, mate, my you know, one of my best mates, World Cup centre half, you know, he's looking for a move. What about it?" And then all of a sudden, there you go. It's, Do you think Tim will get upset because Lucas is saying, "Oh, well, look, I want to go with Harry." You know, we, we've hung out yeah, a bit. You're a bit not that a... interesting. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm going to go hang out with Harry now. <laughs> the weather's better. Yeah, and maybe they're going to have a little house like with uh, Harry's. Uh, well, it's going to be even stranger. Yeah, maybe they have, if... have to get an extension put on. Yeah, yeah if Lucas lives with Harry and the physio. Uh, Les, Les Gellis, yeah, mm. a little ante room and everything. Bit of PlayStation action. And uh, replacing Craig Moore in the uh, heart of the roar is um, Belgian centre-back Peter Collin. He's uh, been capped by Belgium and spent uh, the best part of 12 years in the top leagues of Belgium and Netherlands. Um, another kind of player, I, I suppose like a bit like Stefan Keller at Sydney, you know, don't know a lot about them and, and could come in and be a good player or, you know, a, an average player, I suppose, proof is in the pudding, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely nothing against Peter Collin because we haven't seen him play yet and, yeah, he's got a decent CV. But the release that came out from the Raw that me and Trev, <laughs> I sent that over to Trev going, hey, this is... Said to, you know, major player announcement, international experience, and has played at the highest level in Europe. Mm. Mm, down, I think if you put a thousand football fans and said, is the Eredivisie in the Belgian league the highest level in Europe? It's not. Yeah. Trev, what did I say to you when I saw that press release? Yeah, we got done one of those flashes before. Oh, so God, I'd that, been burnt before by yeah, that. They're saying and it was a went, major announcement. It was a contract extension for someone. So yeah, they're that, teases, aren't they? That, that was a little uh, delete button and went, yeah, whatever. And I'll let you uh, tell me uh, the, the no name that was signed. But <laughs> as I said, you know, no, no disrespect to him. He, he might come over and do a very good job. But this kind of... Um, you know, sensationalising of uh, of people before they before they arrive is a, has got to stop. I mean, I think, as he says himself, I think he's two Belgian caps. One was a friendly, and one was a Euros qualifying match, and that's it. Yeah. So I've got an England cap. I bought that at the last World Cup. <laughs> so you know, maybe that's what he's talking about. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, someone we've seen with Van Dijk coming in as and 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 some other players that we might not have heard of are coming and do a very good job. We're talking about Eugene Daddy as well coming in and playing very well. So um, moving on, announcement by Channel Ten that they'll be launching a, a new HD football show. Um, prime time Monday night slot, 10 p.m., which I'm, I'm not sure is prime time, but they're going to be looking at. Uh, Certainly not for me. No, exactly. Uh, t- what was it? A DVR rec- IQ recording and watching the next morning, eh? Um, but it, they're said to be covering Socceroos, A League, and World Football. Um, 
I think any kind of channel promoting the game, Trev, is going to be, or any program promoting the game is going to be good, isn't it, really? So We've talked about it before, the need for a, a sort of um, free-to-air show, even if it's just sort of a highlights package. Um, saw the success of the uh, W League, how many viewers that got. You yep. know, it was higher than the A League was getting on Foxtel. Um, no, Fox Sports, apparently, I'm not at that confirmed. So, yeah, it's great. You know, this sport needs to get out to as many people as possible. And providing it's a, you know, a good, interesting job for the show, then it can only be a positive thing. And it's going to be uh, hosted by um, ex-Sky Sports News and BBC journalist Chris Bailey, who apparently was a tennis player who took Goran Ivanisevic to five yeah, sets. Do you run his Wikipedia yeah, page it. before the show? Yeah. No, Me and Chris him. like that, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, so uh, another part of the Pommy Mafia coming in to do some football stuff, but um, obviously knows his stuff. And yeah, I think no, he... you know, I think fair play to to Channel Ten. You know, One HD has you know been showing the Bundesliga and Serie A, so this adds to that. And it's obviously been doing all right for them, so they're, they're extending their reach in football, which can only be good. Yeah. And obviously, uh, before we finish up this segment, there was uh, a game played last night that which uh, which we should speak about as well. Gold Coast United against Newcastle. Newcastle were on a on a fantastic run up to that point, but um, you know, kind of given a bit of a lesson by Gold Coast, and weren't obviously Neil Young took a crack to the face early on, and I think yeah, he was probably pretty. wiping off the cobwebs before the you know Kalina's goal went in, but. Um, Second best in that yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, they, they were, first half especially, Gold Coast dominated and probably could have had a, a couple more goals than they got. Um, they were talking a lot on the, the, the coverage, Andy Harper, especially about Newcastle being tired because they played on Sunday. And, and I, I didn't think they looked that tired. I just thought they were out. They, they just didn't play very well. Mm. But, you know, they, they could have scored two or three goals in the last 10 minutes when Kalina went off. You know, uh, Matt Thompson, it was just like a magnet. He had like two or three good chances yeah I mean great defending from Jilbic for that one where he, he stopped it twice um, but you know I don't think it was tiredness I just didn't think they played very well in the first half they got completely dominated I think they only had 35% possession in the second half they looked a lot better and, and could easily have levelled that mm. um, so yeah so yeah, but again you know sets up a good game on, a, on Sunday Gold Coast Sydney do we think that that's the first time that um, that or, or the last time that James Brown will ever score past Neil Young. Yeah, he was off. <laughs> How yeah, I know, he's still, yeah. the, the godfather of goal. That's exactly uh, what I was going to say. Yeah. His first. That James Brown, you know, doing well is no surprise to our readers because we did a bit on him when we did, you know, the Gold Coast formation. And we did. They were saying, you know, the, we got it from the Football Queensland guy to say, look, you know, this lad is really, really good. He said he'll push for mirror on starting, you know, line before the end of the season. And he's almost certainly a future soccerer. He's had a few injury problems. He had another one at the beginning of the season, which is why we're only just seeing him now. But, you know, really, really, you know, high hopes for this James Brown. And we're not just basing this on that one goal. That's what, the, you know, the guys at Football Queensland are saying. Um, cleaner also opened the scoring. Only his third goal, which I think he'll be a little mm, bit disappointed yeah. about seeing as he's, you know, he scored on David and what have you. And, um, I'm not sure how much he intended it. It was a little bit Ronaldo-like, but perhaps not as you know hard and fast. He kind of hit the free kick across the face of the goal, so it's going to go in, or it could deflect in off anyone else. So, um, yeah, but I think he'll, he'll be looking to, to notch a few more than that later in the season or next season. Yeah, great stuff. Well, that's all the time we've got for uh, looking back at the news of the week. But join us after the break as uh, Trevor speaks to uh, England legend Paul Parker about uh, some of the stuff that he's doing in uh, Australia and uh, reminiscing about World Cup own goals. Join us then. All together now. 
Australian football legends John Cosmina and Kevin Muscat have come together for the first time since their headline-grabbing sideline stoush nearly three years ago to become very special members of the Green and Gold Army on tour at the 2010 FIFA World Cup. With over 100 Socceroos caps between them, Cosy and Muskie will be arm-in-arm arm with the Green and Gold Army in South Africa and you could be there with them enjoying the ultimate 2010 FIFA World Cup experience. Known for their passion and pride in supporting the Socceroos around the globe, the Green and Gold Army's FIFA authorised travel packages will take you to the heart of Australia's support in South Africa. The Green and Gold Army's packages include tickets to all three Australia group stage games, four additional World Cup group stage games, transfers to and from games and safe, secure accommodation in Johannesburg, just a goal kick down the road from the Socceroos base. Head to www.ggarmyontour.com or call 1300 300 for more information on Australian football's once-in-a-lifetime experience. Back to 442 Insider. Hello and welcome back. Um, this week's interview is with a player born in the home of football, West Ham. Um, he was also a former England international right-back who started at the 1990 World Cup in Italy and formed part of Alex Ferguson's revolution at Manchester United during the 90s. Paul Parker, welcome to the 442 Insider podcast. Thank you very much. Um, we'll chat about that illustrious pass in a bit, but um, at the moment you're over in Singapore doing a bit of work for ESPN, but you've been living in Australia recently as well. I have been since um, late August. I I have settled down in Darwin. And a few people pull faces when I say that. Because they find it a bit strange, but I'm finding it quite enjoyable to wake up every day. Obviously not in the moment in time, it's the wet season, but when I arrived it was guaranteed sunshine. There's guaranteed plus, plus 30 degrees heat, and my wife made her mind up that she wanted to stay in Darwin because of we should have been going on to New Zealand where I, I actually... I had a job working with Sky. Mm-hmm. A few issues happened that we couldn't get across to New Zealand. You know, when I was supposed to, a few um, things popped up and it was holding us back. The longer we stayed in Darwin and started, you know, getting to know the people in the community, mm-hmm. my wife felt that she wanted to um, stay there longer, to be honest, and did, didn't really want to move on. And, and I think in the end, it's worked out the right decision. Like, I mean, what's the future plan? Obviously, hoping to get a visa and stay in Australia and perhaps do some coaching up there. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's what's happening at the moment. I'm, I'm away in Singapore at the moment. Yes, I'm working, but as well, I'm, I'm waiting for my visa to be granted. My application's in because I've been offered a job and being sponsored by the, um, the FFNT um, to work in um, as a coaching consultant to get involved in work and all different topics in, um, I'm going to call it football rather than soccer. Yes. That's, that's only the way I know it. I know it's going to be difficult in Australia to put that across. But, um, yeah, I've been offered work involved, diff- all different topics involving involving work with the Indigenous as well. Sure, that sounds great. I mean, just to look back at your career for, for a few Australian listeners who perhaps aren't as aware, you spent a fair bit of time at Fulham and then you moved on to, to QPR before Man U. But how do you sort of look back on those earlier days with, with Fulham and QPR in the 80s? <clears throat> um, I absolutely loved it. I was an East London boy, but um, Fulham had a training camp in East London and... They were the first club to come to me when I was 11 years of age, so I was there from 11 until I was 23. And to be perfectly honest, um, I, I wasn't too keen on leaving them because I grew up with them and I just thought I made it. That was me being a footballer. And then I, I went to Queen's Park Rangers and 
And I must say, I went to Queen's Park when people always ask me, where did you prefer to be? Where was it? You must have been Manchester United. And I would have. And I always say Queen's Park Rangers because it was a lovely little club. It reminded me a bit like West Ham in certain ways. It was a West London community club. Everyone around supported the Rangers and yeah, just had a great feel about it. And, you know, maybe because three years and about I won play of a year, that says something, the pressure we was under as a defender, me as a defender, but defender but it was just a lovely place to be in except for really the last five six months of my time at rangers it was maybe the most enjoyable fun time where you could just really have fun in certain ways because expectations weren't that high of what i had in football really yeah sure i mean you're quite well known for, for doing really well with um england at italian night as english finished fourth i mean what are your sort of memories of that tournament um well i get reminded every every definitely every four years when there's a world cup and and after, every two years after World Cup, when the Euros come round, because everyone still talks about England and how well they've done overseas in Italy, which people still class as maybe one of the best ever World Cups because of, um, because I think obviously because England done well, but I think the whole thing around that, around it being Italy, like is you know you could virtually say is like England, you know a home of football to be honest, really their first you know their only sport that they all adhere to is football and. And it, for me, it was, it, it made me, people knew my name when I was at Queen's Park Rangers, my name was about, but no one really knew the face. And after that 1990, every, you know, everyone knew my face as well, and it, 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 it lifted my profile, and that's what all footballers want, you know, we've all got egos, and, we, you know, we want to try and be the best we can, we, want the, we love to be recognised in the street. Even though footballers today seem they seem like they want to beat cameramen up because they want to take a picture, <laughs> we thrived in it because we there wasn't that many cameramen about. There wasn't there wasn't many journalists about as what there is today. Want to you know get players you know players have to go to Oakland of envelopes nowadays. That's how it's working out media wise. Just for a story, they turn up anywhere. They there's a story about them. But mm. it, you know I played six out of seven games. Didn't play in the first game, but it was more by accident more than anything. England didn't perform too well in the first game. I went across there only making really inferior, I think, one one or two full appearances and my debut was coming on the sub for 15 minutes against Albania in April 89 after being in the squad for 11 months without actually getting an appearance. That's how Bobby Robson done it. But I went across to the World Cup. I had two, um, I had two, in- had two injections, one on either side of me groin because I had a hernia mm-hmm. and I was expected, expecting, I should say, just to to warm up and just to um, just to maybe get the odd appearance, but to play six out of seven and actually play in a in a World Cup semi-final mm. is is absolutely amazing. People yeah. talk about oh, I dream of playing the World Cup final. I just dreamt about as a kid playing in a World Cup. Never went that far about a World Cup final or anything. But the only disappointing thing for me though is that. The best we played was against Germany, mm. and the problem was is that we never got the luck that we deserved in that game, and and we should have been in the final against Argentina. I mean, the only guarantee is it would have definitely been a better final than what it was in 1990 when it was Argentina v Germany. Yeah, it's a bit shocking. I mean, you talk about German luck; they certainly had a big slice of luck on their first goal to take the lead, and that was obviously something you were involved in. You've probably heard a little bit about since as well. Oh, I still hear about that, to be honest. Every, every now and again, I, I walk in some and people Google and straight away it's the first thing they always bring up. And, but like me, I'm a I'm an honest man and I don't like to pass the buck, but I'm always going to blame Peter Shelton, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> as anybody would do. But to be honest, it was a, it was a, it was a freak. It was a freak goal because I think you look where Peter Shelton is and I've, I would say he's no more than four yards off his line as he's going backwards and 
somehow it got it got up and come down so quickly with so much venom on it that the sheer pace of it absolutely you know beat Peter Shelton. That was it. It didn't loop and slow like slow motion. It was so quick and mm. all all you can do really is when you're you're told to go and block is just try and block the shot to try and slow it down, do something. But it run up my it seemed like it run up my leg like it was going around up a drain pipe. How quick <laughs> it went. But, but I was, I, my, my next bit, though, is I always say that I was involved in equalisers. So I, think I was going to ask about that next, bit. don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, any listeners who haven't um, seen that semi-final should, should go onto YouTube because you were certainly involved, you know, first that really unlucky deflection off your back and then second setting up Lineker for the equaliser and sort of unsurprising the Germans went on to, to win on uh, penalties. Now, I mean, did you consider taking one of the penalties when people no, were stepping No, no, I never consider, I never consider anything... If, if I get over the halfway line, it's a bonus for me. But to get in the penalty box and be shooting a goal—that's where I could—that's where I could have crumbled. To be perfectly honest, if I'd gone in any longer, then there was every chance. And so, in certain ways, I should be thankful to Chris Waddle and Stuart Pearce. <laughs> but, uh, but maybe I should say to myself, "Well, no, I should have gone on. Should have got to me that stage, and maybe I could have gone on and scored a winning penalty in a semi-final against Germany." Then I would never ever have been forgotten if I could have managed to have done that. But I must say, scoring goal, shooting the goal. Wasn't wasn't a forte of mine during my playing career. Mm, sure, I mean, like you said, your profile got lifted after the World Cup, and the following year you, you went to Manchester United, where a sort of certain Alex Ferguson was building uh, something pretty special there. Um, you know, how was your time with the Red Devils? I absolutely, I absolutely loved. I loved Manchester. Um, people ask me what's my favourite city in England, and I always put Manchester before I, before I do London. To be perfectly honest, I just found it absolutely amazing. I used to walk down streets as soon as I got there, and people were just saying hello to me, not because I was a footballer and or played for Manchester United, it's because it was a mentality of the North. When you come from London, you go up North, it's, it's a rude awakening for some people because there was, there was a big divide even then when I went there in 91. A few people couldn't believe that I'd signed for Manchester United rather than signed for the team I supported as a boy was Tottenham. And, and I was quite happy to stay at Queen's Park Rangers, to be honest. Um, Tottenham come in. I was maybe just had gone there because of Terry Venables as a manager. I turned down Arsenal. Um, Arsenal was no real guarantees about anything, and <coughs> excuse me, um, I just didn't. I don't know. Arsenal didn't really appeal to me. Sheffield Wednesday and Everton were interested. Um, Sheffield Wednesday, I'd already played for Trevor Francis at Park Rangers. Everton, there was issues there. Why I wouldn't? Why I wouldn't? I had no interest in Everton at all because of certain things had cropped up. And at the last minute when I was chatting with Terry Venables, um, the agent got a phone call from Maurice Watkins, uh, Manchester United solicitor, asking me, would I come to Manchester? Terry Venables said to me, you'll sign, once you get there, you'll sign for Manchester United. And I, as honest as I could be, I said to him, I don't think so, I'm a, I'm a London boy and I want to I wanna play me football in London, I don't want to live up north. And after I said that to Venables at some point in late July... It took me another four months before I come back to London again, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> so I think, I think I told him a lie about realising it was going to be a lie because the moment I got there and I saw the stadium, uh, the boss took me around the pitch while my agent talked to my Martin Edwards, the then chairman. I just looked around Old Trafford. I'd been there as a player, you know, with Queen's Park Rangers. I knew I didn't want to play anywhere else. And my mum and dad come across from Jamaica in the late 50s and all my dad ever done was talk about they weren't talking about West Indies cricket that's when the West Indies were, Indies were good mm. um, he was always talking about Bobby Charlton George Best and Manchester United so, I mean, how about Alex Ferguson I mean, how was he as a coach and did you ever get the uh, the hairdryer treatment oh I've got I mean let's put it this way excuse me I've got a back <clears throat> frog in the throat so Alex never done much um, 
coaching as such. He was just the man manager and what you can deem as now maybe a, a, a you know a kind of old age manager as such. You don't managers now are into doing everything now. Was he just man managed, which he was, was second to none. But yeah, I, I got it. I got it in the face a few times off of him and. And you know, there he's an inch, inch and a half away from your face, and you took what you took it all. You never once kind of pulled away. You never, you never pushed it in to confront him because once he started speaking rightly or wrongly, um, and if he was, if you felt that he's wrong, you'd never, you'd never answer him back. I've seen a few players answer him back, and I've seen a few players not play games of football. I've seen a few players, even worse, disappear at the, at the back door of Manchester United. Mm. Um, so. If you love Manchester United and you want to play for them, do your job right, but never, never cross um, Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah, sound advice there. Um, you mentioned earlier about a right back and scoring goals and really getting beyond the halfway line. You know, the right back position, the modern right back position, is a lot different these days. They're asked to do more than they've probably ever done before, both defensively and attacking wise. How have you sort of seen your former role of of over the years? Um, well, I'm seeing it, and there's the two De Silva brothers, twins, I should say. The, the Silver Twins, who are, and um, I know the, um, the boss um, absolutely loves them, the way they play. He said that to me when I saw him at the end of, end of last season before the Champions League semi-final, and he was raving about them. Um, you look at Gary Neville, Gary Neville become a, a kind of more, tried to become a, a modern-day fullback after David Beckham left, and you could see Gary trying, Gary not being a natural athlete, he had to really work hard to get forward, because running... You know, he had to really work hard to run Gary as such. But, you know, he's made, he had a great career, 18 years so far at Manchester United. Um, but uh, the one thing I always say about the modern-day fullback, which is great that they can all run forward and whatever, and they look to always be getting on the end of crosses, getting in, around the edge of the box and all that. But first and foremost, if you've got that number two or three in your back, and I still talk that way because when I see players... 44 in their back, I can't take the game serious, I'm expecting to see gridiron or something like that. <laughs> As I always say, first and foremost, if you're, if you're one of those four people at the back in front of the goalkeeper, you have to be at defence. Mm. You know, it's great when they talk about how cultured they are on the ball and how great you see these people want to run forward, like Cafu or Brazil, but it might be alright you know, when you're playing for a Spanish side or an Italian team or such, because you might work out right because of the actual culture and the way their games play. But when you play English football, you, you get exploited so quick when you're out of position. And for me, to bomb forward and all of a sudden someone to take my space and I'm not there to defend, we might concede and everyone might blame everyone else. But for me personally, it bothered me because I'd run out of my position, left a big hole open which was never filled. So I like, I like seeing natural defenders. I just believe that you're born to defend you. You sense danger and you know where to go and stand. And... And that's, and that's um, Sir Alex um, Ferguson's philosophy because that's why he signed me. You know, I was a lad five. I'm, I'm giving myself five seven. I'm going to tell me everyone, anyone, I'm five seven. I'm, I'm 170. Right. <laughs> 170. Even though when I had my medical done for me the other day, it came up one six nine. But I'm claiming one seventy. <laughs> I've lost. I've lost it somewhere. I've lost that little bit. Oh, dear. Um, I played. I played most of my career. Up until, um, well, still even then, up Manchester United, he signed me off the back of seeing me play for Queens, Fulham and Queens. He knew me from Fulham and Queens Park Rangers, and I was a, a centre half, sweeper, a man marking. I played in the middle. I was never ever a fullback of note until I went to Manchester United, and Sir Alex Ferguson signed me to replace Steve Bruce. Somehow, Steve Bruce must have took tablets to stop his rigor mortis setting in because he carried on, and I played with him for five seasons at Manchester United. And then he went on and played for Birmingham City as well. So 
what I don't want anything is I'll go, I'll go speed Brooks kick up the bottom really because Sir Alex was looking at playing me and Gary Palliser together in the middle and that's someone who's only five foot seven tall I played you know I was a centre half and people maybe just look at it now I think that, that's not right but if you look at English football now it's not as, it's not nowhere near what it was like when I was playing when there was big ugly you know you have to be a centre forward you have to be six foot plus or you get someone who's small stocky and quick. Um, but the game's changed now. It isn't so much in the air. But yet we're still going out looking for these greyhound-type players who are really inferior, nowhere near as fearsome like a Steve Bruce or a big, even a big Sam Allardyce when he played because a big Sam Allardyce was a tank. He, you know, he looks fearsome now as he is when he's chewing that gum on the touchline. But when you saw him as a player and you were there on that near post and you saw that ball gets near and you've got big Sam crashing towards you, big Sam could do what he wanted. He could have a goal as long as he didn't hurt you. Yeah, sure. I mean... Moving on to your sort of early impressions of football in Australia, you've been able to take in a few A-League games. Um, what do you make of the standard and how the league looks? Um, I'd say it's very, you know, there's most, you know, there's a lot of teams who are very, very similar and you've got a general idea. You've not really got an idea really what's going to happen next in certain ways. But I'll say the two standout teams to me are Sydney, and that's because... Sydney have got my favourite player in the whole league, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I'd watch Sydney because I like Corica. Yeah. You know, it's just a shame that it'll be his age, really. I wish I'd have, you know, maybe seen him when he was at the height and everything, but I can't really remember him as such. But every time I watch him play for Sydney, you, you know, if he's not playing well, if he's struggling, then Sydney struggle is as simple as that. And I like watching Melbourne because Melbourne play when they're allowed to play, and you can see everyone really works hard to stop Melbourne, just by the way they the way they play the game, you know, they've got a few South American players, they've got something different, they can change a game, they've got a few more creative players, they can exploit a lot more than what other teams are, but can, I should say. But the league itself, same as anything new, it takes time. It's, it's too easy to be critical of, a, of anything new because you're up against things that have been established and when you look at it, you know, you look at the Premier League and everyone goes, oh, but that's a new league. Well, it, well, no, well, it's a new name, new brand, but it, it was a football league for many a century. So that's how we know it. So the A League has got a way to go, but it will get better and better. And you might not, you know, not during my time, you know, might notice a little bit of a difference. But it's about the kids, really. It's about the young players, the 10, 11, 12 year olds, what they're coming into. It's about what's there for them, really, making sure that it improves in a way that when they come into it, they can improve as well. And that's what the league about. The country's got, to, the league has got to grow into the country. Soccer's got to grow into Australia and the more people supporting it, more people enjoying it, more people playing it, you know, beyond the ages beyond the age of fourteen and going on, and then the game will threaten the other um the other sports in Australia. I mean that's that's the bit I see it's the biggest global sport in the world, soccer or football, as it's known in Europe. So every everything says that sooner or later it is gonna attack it's gonna get out towards that Oceana way and really attack it, you know, because of you know, we all know it's the biggest, it's the biggest, um, you know, participated sport in the world by, by kids. But it's about what you do after they get to that certain age. And what I do know is that 13 and 14 year olds, especially in the Northern Territory, start moving towards AFL and maybe rugby league. So that's why, you know, the football's got to be developed and something's got to happen. That the kids are still going to want to carry on. They've got to have maybe more aspirations beyond the age of 14 to want to be a soccer player. That, you know, that, that's what it's about more than anything. 
great stuff. Uh, thanks for your time today, Paul, and thanks for chatting to the uh, 442 Insider podcast. No problem at all, Trevor. Thank you. The new issue of 442 is on sale now. This month, we speak exclusively to Liverpool and England superstar Stephen Gerrard and Socceroo Luke Wilkshire as both look forward to the World Cup in South Africa. Our man Trev gets flown to Germany by Adidas for a first look at the official World Cup ball. And as a European transfer window opens, we look at some of the hottest property likely to be on the move, including Sergio Aguero, David Silva and Luis Fabiano. And if that wasn't enough, there's a free 2010 World Football Wall Planner to make sure you don't miss any important dates in this massive year of football. If it's in the game, it's in 442. On sale now. I'm Matt Mackay of the Brisbane Raw, and you're listening to the 442 Insider Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the 442 Insider Podcast. Great stuff from Trevor and Paul Parker there. And uh, the boys did look at me when I called it an own goal at the uh, lead out to if section. If it was me, I, I wouldn't be happy with that being called an own goal. It was a deflection. It's a deflection. Yeah. And as you said, Peter Shilton, probably the man who, who jumped about two inches off the ground for Maradona's hand of God, probably jumped less than that for, for that one, didn't he? And, uh, Who's it who struck the free kick? Bremer. Andreas Bremer. Andreas Bremer, yeah, that was it. And then, you know, see, Parker claims that well, he'd say the claims. He set up Lineker's, um, you know, equalise. However, he was in his own half when he looped over and then Lineker had to still take it down, control it and bang it in from the edge of the area. But he, he was still claiming still assist Still an assist? Would, he, just, would you get an assist? You know, before the days of assists, he probably would have got on. It's I just about it. But he, I, I found the stuff he was talking about, Ferguson, the funniest, about, you know, the, the famous hairdryer treatment when he's screaming an inch from your face and you just can't move, you know, you can't move back. You know, you can't answer back. You see, you know, lucky you're saying, I've, I've heard some people answer back and that was their last game they ever played for Man U. So. I get the impression that, like, he, his breath would smell of mints, a bit of whiskey. and Chews gum, mint, whiskey, mint, definitely whiskey. Like that. <laughs> that kind of, like, trying to mask it. But um, anyway, moving on, we've got a whole round of A-League games to preview and the first one that we're looking at is Friday's game. Uh, an early game uh, in uh, 7.30 local time, but 5.30 East Coast. Wellington Phoenix against North Queensland Fury. Uh, Wellington look pretty impregnable at home now, especially with uh, some of their attacking players that they've, they've now got. Do we, do we see North Queensland doing anything? They're winless in their previous five away matches. No, Wellington <laughs> win, I think. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's brilliant home team versus you know, rubbish away team, isn't it? And it would be a surprise if Fury, um, you know, got anything there. They'll dig the hills in like they normally do, but, um, yeah, Wellington with their new firepower have enough there. Yeah, I think the only, the, the, probably the only downside to Daddy coming into that Wellington side is the fact that someone like Adrian Caceres has been playing very well for them. It doesn't get, doesn't get a spot. Is there any way that, that Ricky can accommodate all of them? dream team of attacking forwards yeah I, I, no, I think so I, I think the person that might struggle to get back in is Chris Greenacre um, mm. our Chris ah Chris what's going on Trev I don't know um, have you spoke to him recently no I haven't no. I was getting off last time didn't I but. Yeah. so I think he might be the person that because uh, I think he, they could quite comfortably play with a, in a 4-4-2 with um, accommodating Caceres and Bertos on, on the opposite flanks but um the people that he's, yeah, he's got some good options there. Though. He's got Greenacre, he's got Daniel, um, so I think you know, it's good to go into you know, the, into the running with um, 
you know, with people that can come on and fresh. I think the difference is, is that, you know, he's also then got players on the bench that can come on and have an impact. Mm. You know, he could put Greenacre on for the last 15, 20 minutes. You know, he's got something to prove. He's got competition for his place. You know, it, it sort of breeds a good sort of culture in the club. Yeah, I was going to say, I was looking at the, the table and going to say that, you know, a loss for the Fury could really cut them loose, but it, it wouldn't. It's still really tight there down the bottom, isn't it? So it's, it, it, we're still not at that stage now where people are going to be eliminated, are we? No, we've still got a few games left. I mean, five, some teams have got six. So, you know, the way the results have been going all season, really hard to predict, as, mm. as we point out every time we try and predict them. Um, yeah, it can still still go anywhere. I've got a th- feeling that that top six that are there at the moment are going to be the top six. I, th- I think Brisbane, Mariners, Fewer and Adelaide will miss out because they're just so furiously inconsistent or in free fall that I'd be surprised to see them make the finals. But, you know, like you say, there's really not a lot in it and a couple of mm. wins and they could be there. And having said that, though, um, Adelaide against Central Coast, which is the second game on Friday, you know, if one team wins, you're starting to you're starting to make it really hard for yourself, aren't you? And, and looking into wooden spoon territory, aren't you? And this, and this is you know a real must win for both sides. I think for them to have any chance, uh, as you said, the Mariners must be kicking themselves from the position that they were in. They probably um, missed though, wouldn't they? The yeah. form they're in at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Adelaide at home. Yeah, their home form hasn't been great. Um, well, their form hasn't been great full stop home or away but um, at home especially they need to get back to uh, to winning ways so nil nil yeah draw <laughs> I think it'll be a result that won't do either of them any favours whatsoever but you know if Adelaide win they, they might I was trying to look into what the odds are for the Mariners for um, Wooden Spoon actually yeah yeah, I fancy that was a little bet but yeah if, if Adelaide can win that then I, I think you know the Mariners charge will almost certainly be over especially with the running they've got fair enough Saturday's games, uh, starting off with uh, Melbourne victory against Perth Glory at Etihad Stadium, and Archie Thompson playing his 300th club game, if he, if he actually starts, that is. Um, two teams, you know, Perth away from home will be desperate to try and get, get something out of it, but Melbourne after their showing against Newcastle, the two teams probably, you know, desperate to to find some kind of form or play themselves into form in this one. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd say that, again, this would be a home home win, but as we've been proven throughout this podcast, you actually listen back to the season. Um, it's been the most difficult season, I think, to predict. Um, you'd think that Melbourne would would have enough to beat Perth. Perth don't travel very well. But like we saw last week, you know, when Melbourne couldn't overcome 10 men, um, I think they'll go back, big crowd, hopefully, um, and I think they'll win. I think they will win. Hernandez drew a, drew a decent performance. He was quite quiet against Newcastle other than the goal, wasn't he? You know, yeah, he, he grabbed seems... that goal in the second half, but first half he was completely missing, and when you rely on that, that creative player so much and you can cut him out of, uh, out of a team, then they really struggle. You'd, you would expect Melbourne to win this game, and you know Perth didn't look great at home. Against Sydney, they created a lot of chance. They had plenty of corners, but you know they weren't putting them away. It's almost like you know it's quite ironic that you know the week they get rid of Eugene Daly, they all of a sudden look completely toothless up front. So I think Melbourne will take that one out. Yeah. And Hernandez doesn't quite look fit to me. Yeah. Still seems to be a bit 
you know. Carries a bit of weight though, doesn't he? he yeah, but he always had. But he just, I don't know. He just, he's he's always never been really like, shy of putting his foot in and, and mixing. But he just seemed a little hesitant. I thought against Newcastle, and I know he's had trouble with an ankle injury and whether that's still lingering around. And he's he's having to play because you know they they need the they need to get back to winning ways. But um, hopefully he's had another week of treatment and uh, hopefully we'll see um, the, the the Hernandez that we know. Yeah, the late game on Saturday. 8pm local kickoff, 9pm on the East Coast is Brisbane Raw against Newcastle Jets. And, you know, we, we've said a little bit earlier on about Brisbane kind of maybe shutting up shop now and uh, waiting for next season. But I suppose it's a good chance for Ange to really see what he's got. If he is thinking of clearing up shop and, and everything, you know, maybe blooding a few players who might not get the normal amount of time and, and, and see you know, who he wants to keep on, Trev. This is a massive game for them, yeah, because they're in seventh, you know, they're only sort of a point behind Perth, two behind Wellington, but both those two have got games in hand. So, um, you know, I think they really need to to look to pick up a win over the Jets there. Otherwise, I I think any chance of the finals is over. I can't see him making much of an impact in the finals anyway, but I think, you know, at least that makes a a slight statement that they have managed to make. But like you say, you know, when a new manager comes in, generally the results get a little bit better because everyone's on show. It's a clean slate again. Players that have been out of favour, you know, have a chance to prove themselves. You know, regulars still have to keep themselves up. And, you know, he is going to clear out in the summer and he's going to be a brand new team next season. If you want to play for this club, then you've got to play well in these last few games. Yeah. And and, and probably no team has been more yo-yo than the, than the Jets, you know. Yo-yo. Uh, uh, Yo yo, <laughs> they're quite. You know, Brank- standing looking moody on street corners. Branco's into his hip hop, big chains and stuff like that. But um, you know, they've been, uh, they've probably been in every position at some point in the in the league, and uh, up to fourth now. And, and Branco will be looking to try and steal something at, at Suncorp, won't he? Yeah, I think so. It was a bit bit of a blip last night, but I, as I said, I think you know there was enough in the second half to convince him that they just. You know they they really suffered just from one bad half of football last night. So I don't, I think he'll pick them up again. Um, I think they're staying up in Queensland. Um, so they'll have been together, you know, for the rest of this week and leading into the games. Hopefully he'll have the chance to, you know, to regroup them. Bridges went off at half time. Not sure whether whether that was just a precaution again, um, because they did say on Sunday that he was always going to come off at half time because yeah. of his hamstring problem. So I think it's important that they don't push him too hard because they're in fourth you know they, they should make the finals and he's going to be critical yeah you know he's the player that can not just score the goals himself but as we saw on Sunday with his link play with with Matt Thompson he's the guy that's going to unlock the defenses and from a Brisbane perspective they've just got to stop leaking goals you know and, and we'll see whether uh, the new Belgian signing can can help sort of organize them at the back although he's not been there very long it would be good to see him yeah maybe he's got a little bit of muscle the, the Belgian player. Anyway, move, moving on to the uh, marquee game of the round. Sydney, I'm really underappreciated here for my puns. Uh, yeah. Sydney FC against Gold Coast United, probably the marquee game uh, of the round. Um, Sydney back in Sydney for this game, 5 pm kickoff, and uh, taking on Gold Coaster in a bit of form. It's going to be a tough one to call. I think. Um, Sydney need to um, not concede up to the 69th minute to create a new break their own record for uh, clean sheets, not conceding a goal. Yep. See that happening? Um, yeah, I can. Yeah, 
I don't know whether there'll be a little cheer around the crowd, is it? 69th minute. Yeah. Is it like the cricket? Yeah, they put up, you know, with one run, you know, like one little run. That, a thousand know, test runs or something, yeah. A little ripple goes around the crowd. So that'd be quite interesting. Maybe we should start it. Well, um, then just, just show how many football fans uh, they've really got there. Really you know, like, yeah. Let's just um, start celebrating like a goal on 69th minute. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's no secret. It doesn't matter what league you're playing in. If you're not conceding goals for five, you know, five games on the bounce, you're going to be up there. That's what got the Mariners up there was when they went on that run earlier in the season and Vukovic was keeping clean sheets. Bolton's been, by and large, one of the best players for Sydney FC. You know, you'd probably say Bolton, Colosimo, Brosk have been, have been the sort of you know the spine on which their their title assault's been uh, been laid. So I think. I think it'll be tight. I think potentially Sydney 1-0. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it, it should be a good game on paper. It's cool. yeah. yeah, it's got the potential to be a bit of a blockbuster, isn't it? Um, Colossimo, is he back? Is, that, is his suspension over? Or? I think so, but I'm not sure whether Bross will be back. No, I think he's I think still Bross injured. going to miss a couple of weeks with the ankle. Because that's important. When, you know, when you're taking on Smeltzer, you, you're definitely going to need your best, um, your best defenders. But I think Sydney, even though they're at home, are going to be even more cautious now that you know, the Gold Coast have shifted themselves up into a position. Because Gold Coast go there and win, and they're top of the, the league. Top. Mm. Yeah. Which yeah. is strange to think, even though they, you know, they started well, it felt like they had this you know, almost mid-season-long drag, or they did. So for, for them to be in a position to go top again, you know, only what would only be four four or five rounds out from the end of the season's pretty impressive. Um, I think Sydney will edge them out. I think, like I only was saying, it'd be tight, but yeah, perhaps 1-0, one 1-0, one or something like that. Okay. I was just uh, having a look at the league table, and I wanted to ask you guys a quick question. Right. Team with the least amount of losses in the A-League. I'm sorry, I had to go off mic there and steal away a league yeah, table. Yeah, yeah, so the least amount of losses. So the, the least amount of losses in the A-League. I would say... Wellington. Wellington. Oh, you <laughs> bastards. Yes, correct. <laughs> Only five losses. And is the, is the most Brisbane? The most Brisbane, let's have a look. I'm not very good at math. Yes, correct. Bonus point. When they have a one and then a zero after it, that's ten, isn't yeah, it? That's exactly. the most. Okay, yeah. So good, good shout, lads. Um, that was the round in review and we just wanted to let people know about our new Facebook group that we've started up in the lead up to the World Cup we're the getting in- cool we've the, got a Facebook yeah, group yeah exactly we have um, entered the social <laughs> media age um, in the uh, lead up to the World Cup finals where both myself and Andy will hopefully be going to um, we've started up a little Facebook group so go on there and uh, check it out it's the Australian 442 World Cup Insider. That's it. Group. Catchy. Catchy yeah. group. We'll probably have like some kind of acronym for it uh, moving forward. But uh, yeah, go in there and join us and uh, we'll be posting up some pictures and basically taking the piss out of Trevor and stuff it's like basically that. basically rubbing so. it into Trev that we're going and he's not really. Don't want to go. Didn't want to go. Don't like football, do you? Yeah, I hope you get carjacked. <laughs> that's a very distinct possibility if we do you'll see the pictures yeah. first the now you'll feel really bad yeah you'll like, see it on our status update taken from my iphone just right. being car 
<laughs> yeah. That's Paul's iPhone gone. <laughs> there we go. Well, that's all the time we've got for in this edition of the 442 Insider Podcast. Thank, to, thank you very much to Simon, the producer, for twiddling our knobs. Don't forget that you can listen to us on the interweb at au.442.com or subscribe to us on iTunes. Thanks for listening and don't forget to check back in with us next week. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.